Good morning. You're listening to On This Day with Brian Byrne. Today is Thursday, 14th of May, 2020. On this day in 1932, up to 100,000 people marched in New York City to protest against prohibition. The march was organized by the city's flamboyant mayor, Jimmy Walker. His premise was that the city needed beer sales from which it could gain taxes. Because of the signs carried by the marchers in the day-long event, it's gone down in history as the We Want Beer March. The event led to other cities holding similar parades, including Newark, Chicago and Boston. Prohibition, officially the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, was on the run. The need for city and state taxes overcame the temperance and health movements which had brought in the alcohol prohibition. They were beaten by sheer economics and thirst. In March of 1933, the law was changed to allow low-alcohol beers and wines. In December of that year, the 18th Amendment was totally repealed. Thirteen years of dry America ended. Apart from the taxation necessity in the Great Depression, there was a practicality. Legal alcohol had just gone underground. It's believed that five years into the 18th, there were anything up to 100,000 speakeasy drinking operations in New York City alone. Claims by the wet proponents that organised crime ballooned during the period are probably not as colourful as later portrayed in the movie's culture, but it would have been significant. It is likely that profits earned by criminals during the period gave them a war chest of money to enable major organisation of gangs afterwards. Prohibition hadn't come suddenly. In the US, there had been a strong temperance movement since the 1820s, driven both by women's groups and a section of religious sentiment. Saloons had proliferated after the Civil War, and as the nation industrialised, working men's bars became popular social outlets. Economic arguments over potential savings in crime, health and productivity were put forward by prohibitionist politicians who gained strong support. By 1917, the elected Congress had more dry than wet representatives. A milder form of restriction came in during World War I, mandating a lower alcohol beer to save grain for the war effort. By 1919, only two states, Connecticut and Rhode Island, were against ratifying the 18th Amendment. In October of that year, the enabling legislation, the Volstead Act, was passed. That prohibited the manufacture, importation, sale and transport of alcohol. But it did not prohibit consumption. And it also allowed households to make their own cider and wine from fruit, but not beer. As always, it was the poorer people who suffered most from prohibition. The wealthy had stockpiled liquor in advance of the 18th. The workers couldn't do that. Illegal stills became common within weeks of prohibition. The federal government ordered that all industrial alcohol be mixed with deadly methyl alcohol to make it undrinkable. Up to 10,000 people are believed to have died drinking this after it was denatured by bootleggers. For people who wanted to make their own wine, grape juice concentrate was legally sold, with specific instructions of how not to store it because otherwise it would become wine. 
Prohibition also resulted in thousands of jobs being lost in the brewing and distilling industries. St. Louis had been a particularly strong production area and was the first to begin resupplying legally after repeal. Thousands of workers found jobs in the industry again, helping the nation to climb out of the Great Depression. After the passing of the 21st Amendment, not every state went wet. Some 18 stayed dry for varying periods, until 1966 when Mississippi finally allowed the sale of alcohol. There are still many local counties in many states which are dry, and there's still a strong conservatism streak. A poll by CNN in 2014 across the nation found that nearly a fifth of Americans still believe that drinking should be illegal. Back to this day in 1932, Jimmy Walker, the showman mayor of Irish-American parentage who organized the initial and most famous We Want Beer marches, resigned suddenly a short time later and charged with corruption. He fled to Europe and lived in Paris until the danger of prosecution receded. Back in the US he was in the musical record business before his death. His life has been romanticized in book, film and song, but his We Want Beer march may well be his most enduring legacy.